welcome to the next installment of the SUAS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. As always, I'm your program host, Patrick Egan, and let's say hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. or sometimes brother, Gene Robinson. Uh, Hello, Patrick. How are you, sir? And how is the drone sphere in your neighborhood? It's good. As you can tell, I'm uh, over-caffeinated. <laughs> it's cold and rainy here. <laughs> and uh, I'm like into pot number two of the coffee. And uh, so now I'm, uh, I'm all uh, fired up and ready to go. Get it back, big guy. <laughs> all right. So, you know, here we are. Uh, you know, this is the first podcast of uh, 20-19. And you know we've been we're we're gonna, we're going to be coming up on the uh, anniversary. What is it? I, have we been doing this since 2013 or 2012 or yeah. I forget? Yeah, 2013 is uh, about mm. it. Long time. Jeez, Louise, six years. One of these episodes, I'm going to go over and talk to the manager about doing a live remote episode from Best Buy, the drone aisle. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be a hoot? <laughs> Like, can I pull kids yeah, you over? Know, I used to hang out on the, I used to hang out on the camera aisle, you know, just looking for stuff that I could put in my drone. And now, you know, you just walk right past the camera aisle and go straight to the drone aisle. Exactly, and then they have. A, I spend a lot of time in the uh, regulatory policy aisle, uh, boning up on federal regulation and rulemaking. Um, it's right over there near the vacuum cleaners. Yeah, so look right. for it next time you're there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, God, six years. Woo! Um, and, you know, it's funny you say, when we think think about that, that six years, it's like everything that was old is new again, you know? And uh, I'm, I'm seeing a lot three of stuff resurface. Yeah, exactly. Are you seeing that? You're just like, oh, God, you know. The one that really cracks me up is somebody came out, oh, this kid invented this lion mine. Uh, you know, detecting drone, and I'm like, yeah, I had that idea probably, oh, I don't know, six years ago. I went to Lux Capital, and I said, hey, I want to, you know, save all these kids that are getting their limbs blown off with a drone that can find landmines. And they came back, and I tell you that story, what they came back and said about the investment. I did the elevator pitch. Did I tell and they said, we think we could make a better return on investment elsewhere. And I said, uh, oh. Okay, okay. I'll I'll tell the kids. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, whatever. You know, that's me. You know, people say that I'm uh, abrasive, but uh, you know, I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, moving right along. Uh, any any new stories um, catch your attention? I mean, there's really nothing going on. But any anything by chance yeah, catch your on, attention? Now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Patrick. Come on. The FAA is moving the ball. Come on, uh, you saw that. You know, they came out. You, you, you've you got to mark your, your aircraft on the outside now. Sure. There's no dude, ambiguity I've been, there. I've been compliant since 2009, the Cracker Barrel. Um, you know, I'm sure you've seen that picture. <laughs> that was the first go-around with uh, the ID and tracking for the uh, – for small unmanned aircraft yeah. systems on the SUAS ARC, and they're like, oh, you know, we'll be putting end numbers on all these things. And I go, okay, well, you know, are you guys uh, doing the carrot juice or or like what? You know, it's going, oh, what do you mean? And I'm like, you know, well, because the cracker barrel is like, you know, one centimeter high. 
So I did. I wrote that on there. End number here with the question mark, and I had the cracker barrel out. And everybody, I think it was uh, AFS 800 and uh, certification people, and you know all the people from that came over and took a look Thank at you. it. And they, yeah, they had to come down and like you know get real close and squint, looked at it, and they were like, oh, um, you know maybe we uh, we effed up on this deal. I got you know I don't know you know. You can uh, maybe you can see it with binos. I, I don't know. I can't even read end numbers on the side of airplanes flying over my house, but whatever. You know, maybe I need and you more know, Patrick, There is also yesterday the NPRM got released. We're going to be flying over people. We're going to be flying at night. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, well, you know, that deal is more of a proposal for a proposed rule. But, uh, you know, there are people now that are saying, wait a minute, you know, uh, this 250 gram thing may not really uh, represent uh, something realistic, and uh, you know there's these other problems. Well, you know what, Professor Patrick has been saying that for years. It's like, look, you're not using the scientific method. Um, you don't have qualified SMEs. You don't have anybody, any adults watching what's going on. And and you know you've been here. I tell people, I go, hey man, you know this all used to be legal. You could fly at night, you could fly over people, you could fly beyond visual line of sight, you could fly in Class Bravo airspace down there at uh, Dallas, DFW. Um, you could do whatever you wanted to do. And people are like, no, shut the front door, get out of here. And I'm like, no, you could. And it was all blessed from the folks at the FAA in Washington, D.C. And they, well, you know, RC and drones were really different in those days. And I was like, oh, really? They were? Because... <laughs> Not really, because uh, there were autopilots for 350 bucks, and you could uh, fly around and do things, and there were people doing transatlantic flights and all the rest of that. So you don't really know what you're talking about. But I know you're embedded with NASA. They gave you the blessing. Um, you know, so go with that and tell your investor that or whatever you got to do and get your money and you know, move on down the road. But that is really, um, I don't know about you, but it's really starting to get under my skin. I've gotten a little thick-skinned about it because, you know, Patrick, when you go through the ARC-1 and the uh, the whole starting from, you know, February 13th, 2006, it's, it's a defense mechanism. It is. It, and, you know, it only uh, – I, I did tell the guy that at the uh, UASIO um, – he has since moved on, but I did tell him, I said, you know, you guys, it wasn't even like you gave it away, but when you put a 10-year prohibition on the drone thing, you just left it on the table. You didn't even put a free sign on it. You just left it there. And the, the Chinese took it, took the ball and ran with it. And I'm not even factoring in the Moore's, uh, Moore's Law thing on that, but you can't take a decade off or have a prohibition against a technology and think that you're going to, keep a lead on it or even keep out there in front on it. And I think we're suffering from that, but you know, whatever, that's a, that's a whole other discussion for another time. Maybe we need to have another history lesson. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, but we could do that this year, but this kind of leads right into today's guest and uh, we'll bring on our guest, uh, Mr. Luke Fox, CEO and founder of white Fox defense. Luke, could you could you please introduce yourself to the audience with a little bio and how you got involved with Counter UAS? Sorry. Absolutely. Thank you for thank you for having me, Patrick and Gene. Good to good to be here. 
So little little background on White Fox. Uh, White Fox is one of the global leaders in drone airspace security. So we provide counter drone technology, technology that allows people to be able to monitor airspace and to be able to respond appropriately when drones are misbehaving. A uh, little background on uh, on myself, uh, as well as the company. The company actually started about six years ago as a high-performance, affordable drone manufacturer. And in that process, we had a number of suspected uh, terrorists and criminals who wanted to use our drones to do really bad things. And that's what uh, that's what got our focus and said, we actually let's not sell drones to terrorists. Instead, let's figure out a technology to stop people from using drones for bad because ultimately when people do that then it creates the fear and hysteria that you were just talking about Patrick just a moment ago uh, around mm -hmm. what drones can do and ultimately the only people who pay for that are the people who want to use them for good and to benefit society all commercial uses are stagnated and you get people that uh, the only people that are using them are the people that are using them recklessly uh, and then you get some hobbyists and you have that slow roll in of the commercial industry. So White Fox is very much designed um, and our technology is intended and being used to unlock the potential of drones to safely integrate them so that we can expedite that process and avoid a whiplash reaction from a catastrophic event. All right. Well, you know, I mean, here's the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like a pro counter UAS guy and primarily because, you know, uh, let's say no-fly zones and TFRs and the rest of that do not serve industry. And the only That's people exactly who, yeah, and the only people who abide by that are the guys that pay attention to the law, right? So it, we're we're starting to get into this, uh, you know, and I don't want to get into a political rant, but I feel like in this country, and you know, I've been here, I've done fifty-two, you know, orbits around the sun. And it's starting to appear, I'm a slow learner, that uh, the guy that follows the law is a chump, you know, and uh, especially in, in the drone thing, because it looks like, you know, from what I hear feedback and see is the folks that color outside of the lines are kind of pulling the plum, you know, and, and that's an unfortunate thing. So what do we do about that? What we do is we come up with good counter technology that allows, and this is my rant, the facility manager to decide the level of, let's say, uh, deterrence that they need to, you know, safeguard their customers or their facility or whatever. And I would much rather have somebody say, well, okay, I have a, uh, you know, nuclear power plant and I don't want drones dropping smoke bombs on the roof. So I think what I'll do is I'll go install a counter UAS system. You know, does that sound like a good idea? Or, you know, should we put up a TFR that people aren't going to pay attention to? That, that's kind of how I feel about counter U.S. And, and Luke, uh, you know, maybe you could tell me a little about your ethos behind the counter U.S. technology and what, what you think. Absolutely. Well, Patrick, I think you, you raise a really good point there. And part of it is, is further segmenting and really understanding what is the threat, right? So part of understanding the threat is looking at the different types of drone operators. At White Fox, we classify uh, drones in four, in four different categories, conscientious, clueless, careless, and criminal. And unfortunately, what, what we see is there, uh, historically there's been this argument to say drone pilots are conscientious, and then the other side says 
drone consci- or drone pilots are criminal. And what there's this lack of appreciation that there's a lot of pilots out there who are not trying to break the law, but they're not necessarily conscientious. They're not trying to do the right thing, and they're not those commercial drone operators who've invested millions of dollars in drone delivery programs, for example. And ultimately what you have happen is you put up that TFR five miles around an airport, and the only people that aren't flying there are the people who want to do so safely. The people who are flying there are the people who are just being careless, who are disregarding the rules. And that's where our ethos and White Fox's ethos and the technology is designed to provide pinpoint surgical accuracy to know what's happening in their space, to be able to determine, is there a drone in the airspace? If there is, how many? Is it a threat? Is it something we've seen before? Is it something we've whitelisted? So, for example, a lot of our customers use our technology because they want to or are already using their own drones. And they want to be able to whitelist those drones so that they could say, this drone is authorized to fly in this airspace and not get uh, all this noise of this, all these alarms going off. And then if a drone truly flies in the airspace and they can say, just this bubble is what we care about or just this portion is what we care even more about, provide the mechanism to be able to safely remove that drone from the airspace without affecting other drones or other communications or further disrupting everything that's happening in the airspace. That's ultimately mm-hmm. the biggest threat that drones pose, is disruption. We look at Newark, mm-hmm. we look at Gatwick. There was no drone with a bomb uh, trying to fly into an aircraft. That Certainly that can exist, but what's going to happen 99 times more than uh, any drone with an explosive on it is a drone that is thought to be seen and then causes a disruption. And that's where it's data. To what exactly you were talking about earlier, it's about quantifying, truly understanding what is the threat, what does that threat look like, and how much of a threat exists in this airspace. People would be shocked to know how many drones are flying near a major airport. We've done Mm. studies at major airports, other critical infrastructure. There are multiple drones flying every single day at almost all major infrastructure, at all the major infrastructure that we've uh, deployed systems at. People don't realize that. Well, we're going to get there. You know, we're going to get there. I want to give Gene just a chance to uh, give his, his perspective on the counter UAS thing briefly. Gene. Well, I have to tell you that uh, that is probably the second most asked question after how much when we're doing public safety training. Uh, that is probably going to be one of the foremost things that you're going to see public safety requesting. And I, you and I should have a talk, sir, uh, because uh, uh, there, there have been a lot of discussions in our classes and our trainings about exactly how to start that counter-drone operation. And we started, you know, we, we say that a trained pilot is the first line of defense in a counter drone program because if you're trained you know what a standard phantom looks like when it's coming in if there's some round cylindrical object hanging in front of it instead of a camera you know right away you've got a threat probably delivering flowers um, or a burrito yeah well a burrito i mean it could be a burrito but uh, you know chances are these days it's not going to be especially in texas okay all right 50 chances to be a burrito in texas so anyway, well, you know, um, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you on that. With public safety, it's going to be way up on the list of things to to get uh, engaged in. 
Okay, so, um, you know, I think we're all on the same page. And I think that's really just an adult and realistic, hey, you know, we're going to need uh, counter UAS, you know. I, I, I think that's kind of a given. If you're in this business, we're, we're not the counter UAS business, but even the drone business, you got to got to realize we're going to we, we need, uh, let's say, some uh, technology to keep us out of trouble with people. So, well, you know, and with that, Patrick, yeah, uh, I, I'll respond to that, though, is that it's not just about detecting and mitigating drones with bombs on it. It's that added value of knowing if there's even a drone there. Right. So we have this massive disruption that's caused in an airport when there's multiple drones flying in the airspace that they don't know about but then they think they see a drone that's probably not even a drone that then causes massive disruption. So it's that, it's that just having that awareness and the data then allows for informed decisions, not just from a public safety standpoint, but also, and even I would argue even larger, just simply a safety standpoint and an ability to be able to innovate on drone technology. Right. Well, you know, the good thing is, is I put a registration number on all my garbage bags so that way, if they are, you know, they know where I'm at. Yeah, no, it's a joke. Okay, so you brought Hopefully up put it point. on the outside. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, that's a good idea. I've been putting it on the inside of the garbage bag. Damn, I didn't think of that. Thank you, Luke. I'm going to start marking with the Sharpie on the outside of the bag. Um, you know, because, you know, I want people to be aware of what's going on. So you did make a point that I wanted to uh, elaborate on, and that is... You know, people don't realize what's flying around and where. And, you know, this is another piece of the puzzle. So when I hear UTM, oh, I'm going to have to have this UTM, and I got UTM, and we need some UTM. And, and I, the, one of the first questions I ask is for, for who, where, when, how much, how many people are flying in your airspace that you want to put this in? Do you know, like on any given day at any specific time, do you have an average? Is it, you know, more on Saturdays or how about Tuesday afternoon, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Everyone shrugs their shoulders and they say, well, we don't know. And uh, so we have to take, you know, guesses, and I don't really like guesses about what's transpiring in the nest. So let me... Let me ask you, I mean, we, we didn't get to the big game and the, the show's like almost two-thirds over, but that's okay. We can, we'll always run long. We always do run long if it gets interesting, so it doesn't really matter. But, so in some of these markets that you're, well, let's, let's take the big game for an example. So you were out there at the, uh, the, the Super Bowl and you were observing. What, what was that like? Absolutely. Well, as, as you know, that there, there was a TFR around the entire Super Bowl festivities. Over a million people uh, planned and projected to be participating in those uh, activities. As soon as we got there, within 20 minutes, we saw a drone flying in the airspace. We asked, we asked a local law enforcement officer who was there and said, hey, have you, have you seen drones? Do you see this? What's, what's going on here? And they said, yeah, we've seen, we've seen them all day. We keep seeing them. They're not supposed to be here. And I said, well, what do you, what do, you do about them? And he said, well, we go and I guess we try to find the person that's flying it. We have a lot of people on roofs looking around for people flying drones. <laughs> okay. That sounds, you know, I'm, man, I'm going to be sleeping tight tonight. Yeah, we got people exactly. looking for them. Woo. And okay. That, that's so. exactly. And it's a huge manpower effort. They were successful at fi at finding people flying drones and seeing uh seeing that activity, but that's it's because it's a Super Bowl and there's a lot of manpower. And that's where technology allows you to automate that 
and not have to have so many people looking in the air for a drone, looking for somebody flying it. Okay, well, so, you know, where have, have there been, let's say, uh, metropolitan areas where you've deployed, deployed your technology, like, on any given day, you know, and you're like, oh, we're over here in Sheboygan, and we set up the equipment, and we see, you know, 10 drones in an hour, or 100 drones in an hour, or 1,000 drones in an hour. What, what, what types of numbers sure. are you seeing in, in these, uh, I don't know if you have an example area that you can share with us. Yes, yeah, so we, we've installed at a number of different uh, areas of sensitive airspace uh, throughout the country and in, uh, around the world, in a few select countries there. And in that process, we've seen, uh, as one example, you look at the prison system. Prison mm -hmm. system, they, they said, hey, White Fox, we need you to come out. We have a huge, huge upspike in violence, which we relate to a huge upspike in contraband, which we believe is uh, from drones because drones are the easiest way to get contraband into the prison. So they said, we, see, we've, we have guards reporting about one drone every week that they see in the airspace. And that's a huge problem, they said. That's really mm. concerning. We installed our system there. And what we found is that every single day, 365 days a year, they had multiple drones flying multiple missions every single day, carrying approximately, they said, a million dollars worth of contraband every single day into uh, these select prisons. This is select way prison. more. Th so these are every prison. Right. This is select prisons. Correct. So these were. Th this is a a number. The prisons that we've uh, that were installed at. Okay. We can't make claims for prisons we're not installed at. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you, I don't know if you know how this drone game works. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Sir. But but what I but what I will say is that one of the one of the values that they saw is that there was a there was a farmer that was uh, that was near the prison that was using a drone, and he technically wasn't supposed to be doing that. But what our technology allowed them to do is to be able to detect that drone and then to be able to whitelist that drone. Even though technically mm -hmm. that drone wasn't supposed to be flying in that airspace, that drone flew every other day, Monday through Friday. And that drone should not be treated as the same level of threat that a drone is that is flying contraband in. And because we, get a, uh, we generate a forensic unique identifier, that unique identifier tells us this is the same drone that keeps coming back. This is the same drone that shows up at this prison at 4 a.m. and then at 6 a.m. before sunrise shows up at this other prison. And that allows you to more effectively respond rather than this panic of, I think I saw a drone, but it was actually Farmer John using drones for uh, dust control. Now, the other thing, and you may not be able to tell me, and I understand if not, because it could be a security thing. So is this, are we seeing like a contraband as a service? Thing with the drones, is it like one guy or you know a group of guys running around to all the prisons making deliveries, or is it just soup to nuts and everything in between? Or if you can't answer, that's okay what, too. I understand. What What I will tell you is that there is there's been tens of millions of dollars invested in drone delivery, uh, in drone delivery companies around the world, and one of talk. the biggest. Op <laughs> And one of the biggest operators of drone delivery services in the world is unfortunately gang-related and as well as cartel-related. And they're the ones that are operating, have the largest, what's believed to be the largest fleet 
to be doing the most deliveries because they're doing daily deliveries around the world. Okay. Well, let me ask you another question. So, are these uh, these cartel people, or you know, uh, uh, you know, gangs and and whatnot? Let's say independent pharmaceutical delivery, whatnot. Are they also <laughs> going for the uh, Part One Thirty Five certification, like Amazon and Google? Do you know that? Well, that's the unfortunate part. <laughs> they are using this very powerful technology that exists today to do things that we should we should be enabling good corporations who want to use it for good to be able to do. Uh, well, you know, and I'm laughing, but, it, you know, it's, it is tongue-in-cheek. You know, oh, Google course. wants to deliver burritos. <laughs> They're going, all right, anyway, we're going to move on because we could laugh about that one for the next five minutes. Okay, so let's talk about your technology here. Um, on the detection side, you know, we know there's a several different technologies. There's acoustic and optical and... There's RF systems. Uh, so how does the, uh, the White Fox counter UAS solution work uh, without giving away the store? How does your system work? Absolutely. So what, what our technology does is it's a platform technology that allows customers with a, with a very simple installation turnkey system cover their entire facility so they know yeah, that piece of critical infrastructure, whether it's that or it's a uh, mobile uh, operating team on the military side or whoever it is, to be able to have that ability to detect, identify, and mitigate drones in the airspace. So it gives them surgical perspective on how many drones, that situational awareness, how many drones, what they are, to be able to determine are these drones a threat, so that's a forensic threat analysis. So they can pinpoint individual drones and say, oh, this is a whitelisted drone. This drone is authorized. But this other drone is unknown. We've never seen it before. This other drone we keep seeing coming back every single day at this facility and other like facilities. Now we know we need to elevate and respond to that. Now we, need, now we know we need to go talk to the operator, or do we need to mitigate the drone and immediately safely land it without causing any interruption or any further disruption? Okay, I, so that was I, it. I have a, Go ahead. I, I have a little question here that, that everybody is going to ask, I think, eventually, and we're just going to put it all out there because um, I get asked it as well on some other systems. What is your rate of detect and deny? Absolutely. So what, what, I, what I'll, I'll respond to that with the threat model. So what is it that you're tr truly trying to stop? Right. When you talk about drones, drones can range anything from something you buy online to, uh, to a department store all the way up to a state-sponsored developed drone. So when you look at that, it's what are you trying to stop? Are you trying to manage your airspace against people who go buy a drone and fly into your airspace? Or are you trying to stop a determined adversary who spent tens of millions of dollars developing their drone program? And that's the key. There is no silver bullet that exists. Absolutely not. And the, there are really big and powerful bullets that are really, really expensive, and they're quite literally often projectiles or laser systems. Mm. And in those cases, if you, if uh, we have customers who've deployed really big, powerful systems because they say we want to knock down 99.9999% of the threats, and what they realize is the vast majority of the of the uh, drones that they're shooting down with multi-million dollar missiles are drones that cost a few hundred dollars. So instead, what they do is they integrate our technology in with that, 
because our technology allows them to be able to handle the vast majority of threats. And then when there's a drone that's coming from a state-sponsored attacker that's invested a lot of money and time into developing that attack method, then they have the big ballistic missile multi-million dollar system. But the vast majority of airports, they don't need, they don't need that. They don't have counter-mortar systems. Right? It's like the highway patrol. That's where our technology has been described. White Fox's technology is known as the highway patrol for the sky. It's not, it's not a tank. It's not meant to be a tank driving down the road. It's, it's designed to be a very scalable, effective, safe technology to detect, identify, and mitigate drones uh, domestically or internationally. Hmm. Now, the other – okay, so you did say you have a, a mitigate um, – part of your technology and I'm, and, and before we get into the, the, the mitigate part of this, because there are other technologies that detect, which to me is kind of, you know, let's say it, it, it leaves something to be desired, but um, it's only so, part of the solution. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I mean, I don't want to just send people terse emails, you know, especially, uh, people doing uh, nefarious. I don't even think they can read the emails, but anyway, whatever. Anyway, so um, your system has a mitigation uh, part to it. Is it only mitigate specific brands, or does it mitigate, you know, the 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 wide variety, or I don't know, you know, it, how far you it, could so go it, into that? But absolutely. So what so what the technology does is. Uh, the counter-U.S. technology is designed to be that safe and effective, easy-to-use system. So it, mit- it mitigates the vast majority, the, wi- the wide majority of drone threats that are out there. That technology, we also provide ongoing software updates. So as new drones are released and new protocols are released, we then update the system very rapidly to be able to respond to that. Uh, you think of it similarly, uh, although there's not best, but like an antivirus program, right? You would be remiss as a, as a big corporation to not have a firewall uh, that, and that firewall to have an antivirus program and all these things to protect you from the cyberspace. Our technology is seen the same way. It's an insurance policy to then mm. ensure that those drones can't fly in their space. There's no silver bullet out there. And anything that might be a silver bullet, again, is going to be highly disruptive, very expensive, and unlikely to be deployed in the vast majority of environments that deeply need the technology. Just like a firewall that that, uh, continues to adapt to threats, the White Fox technology continues to adapt to the threats and respond in a safe and effective manner. All right. Well, that's good. And your mitigation, of course, is it's not kinetic. You're not uh, flying birds or shooting them down, or Spider-Man nets, or any of that uh, other hokey doke, as I like to call it. I mean, you, you guys use a uh, some sort of. How does your mitigation system work? Yeah, absolutely. So what's really critical is that uh, we have to recognize that drones operate on the same communication bands that a lot of things operate on: Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, uh, industrial SCADA systems. And, and good drones and bad drones. So our technology, we have an algorithm that allows us to individually identify those drones operating and then take control of them and safely land them without affecting mm. any other drones or any other communications. So within seconds of detecting a drone, 
we're able to land it. And if a drone is trying to fly and take off in a no-fly zone, for example, uh, in, as a, uh, at a large, uh, let's say, a large sporting event, a drone mm-hmm. tries to take off there and it's a no-fly zone, we can prevent it from even taking off. Mm. Yeah, because that's a well, that's a whole other thing about uh, geofencing and yada yada. But anyway, I don't want to go down that road because we want to stay on this one. So you know, in in and before, because we're getting down to the end of the uh, program, we're actually running long, but that's okay because it's interesting. What um, from from your let's say professional opinion, things facility managers should consider when thinking about counter UAS solutions. And I know that that's kind of casting a wide net on that, but you know, in general, do you, do you have like a few points that you know, like when somebody calls you say, Hey, you know, you need to think about. Absolutely. So the very first question is what are you trying to stop? What are you trying to prevent? And the vast majority of time, people will say, I'm trying to stop a drone with a bomb on it. And we say, well, what's the likelihood that that's going to happen? And is there an easier way somebody could drop a bomb on your facility? Most often they say, yes, okay, actually that makes sense. So what, they're, what, what we do is we really get to the bottom of what the concern is. And the concern is that sense of helplessness and the disruption that's caused by drone flying in an airspace. So, for example, you look at a nuclear power plant. Nuclear power plants, the vast majority of the infrastructure there can survive an airliner crashing into it, quite literally. The threat that drones pose is that, one, they obviously have a very surgical, they can, they're smaller and can disrupt smaller portions of the system and cause a lot of damage. But the biggest threat is the disruption is simply that drone being in the airspace, not being able to do anything about it, and not knowing why it's there. It could be collecting intelligence data, doing intelligence surveillance reconnaissance, ISR. Or mm-hmm. it could be, or in those cases where at large power facilities, that drone can accidentally crash as it's entering into that environment that has a lot of energy. And by crashing there, it takes down the whole system. Right? Mm-hmm. That's where the threat is. It's the disruption. It's taking the focus away from somebody putting a bomb on it and looking, you're really concerned about the clueless and the careless. Now, how do we address that without deploying a system? For example, you look at, uh, you look at technologies that cause more disruption, right? So they, just, they interfere with all the communications in the airspace. And when you use a barrage jammer like that, every time it thinks it sees a drone, turns on the barrage jammer, and now your, all of your systems are disrupted just because some kid decided to fly his drone too close to your facility. And that's a big problem. So it's about truly identifying the threat, understanding what the threat is you're trying to stop, and then determining how much disruption, if any, that you're going to risk in responding to that threat. And in most cases, if you're not stopping a drone with a bomb on it, you don't want to cause disruption every time you get a drone in your airspace, especially when you consider the fact that after you install counter-U.S. equipment, all of our customers have been shocked to see how many drones are actually flying in their airspace. <laughs> it's probably very enlightening. Well, okay, well, those are that's some good stuff to think about. So, um, web site address where listeners can go to find out more about uh, your products. And counter U.S. So we have uh, we have a number of different resources, blog posts, white papers uh, on counter U.S. and how to safely integrate drones into the airspace from a wide variety of perspectives. That is at whitefoxdefense.com. 
Again, that's whitefoxdefense.com. Okay. Well, uh, did you have anything in closing, Gene? There is a lot that I could say about this subject because being in public safety and in talking about the facilities that uh, uh, y'all were talking about, um, th- th- this conversation needs to continue because it is a growing concern. And you're right. Most of them are. And, and I'm going to snipe that from you. I'm going to snipe that conscientious, clueless, careless, and criminal because that's what uh, most of our, our law enforcement officials have to deal with. So, I mean, it's uh, it's some outstanding views on it, and um, I think we'll uh, probably be using some of your material. See, we're we're fulfilling our uh, our goal, which is to educate and inform the uh, drone industry. So, uh, Luke, I want to thank you for that for coming on and uh, and uh, imparting your knowledge on this uh, topic. And I'm sure we'll be talking in the future. Um, thank you, sir, for being on, and uh, we'll see everyone else next time. Thank you for continuing to elevate and educate the conversation. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Take care, all. Bye.